everybody. Whoa, now we got some volume. Hi, welcome everyone. Welcome to Golden Beer Talks, first talk of the year, and wonderful to have so many people here. Uh, we're always amazed month after month to draw in a big crowd, and we're, we really appreciate everybody com coming tonight. Um, I want to start off with a couple of acknowledgments and thanks. First of all, I want to give a big round of applause to the team from the Buffalo Rose. They've done a great job again getting us set up. Thank you, Dave and Brandon and the group in the kitchen. And Chris Cohn is here tonight, so thank you, Chris. We love it, as always. Oh, I should mention, you're used to seeing Whitney up here giving the introductions. Unfortunately for us, Whitney and Bart are off on a holiday in Southern California doing a bunch of bike riding. So they'll be back next month. And it's unfortunate for us, but I'm sure they're having a great time. I also want to give special thanks and acknowledgement to Barb Warden, who hosts goldentoday.com. Thank you, Barb. And she also manages the Golden Beer Talks website. Barb, thank you. <clears throat> I don't know if all of you subscribe to Golden Today's email newsletter, but I gotta say, put in a special plug for Barb, over the past week, I heard about several different cultural events in the area, I went to them, and if I hadn't had Barb's email coming in, I wouldn't have known about these events, so it's a really good place to get good information. And speaking about the Golden Beer Talks website, uh, if you want to sign up to receive our emails telling you about our events, you can go to the Golden Beer Talks website and sign up, and that's where we also post the upcoming calendar of speakers. And then we have a couple of sign-in sheets. Are they out in, the, out in the back? So if you don't feel like signing up through the website, you can sign up on those sheets here tonight. And then I also want to acknowledge that we have some very special people with us this evening sitting down here at our very special table, the Rick and Wendy Goad, and they've brought their friends Bill Roth and Cindy Niles. And I just want to thank you for supporting Golden Beer Talks, and I hope you have a nice evening. I should say that I have heard from more than one person that they learned about Golden Beer Talks from their dentist, Dr. Goad. So not only... Rick, have you been generous in supporting us by buying a very special table, but you're also one of our big promoters, so thank you. That's all my announcements, so we're going to get to the evening's program. Oh, well, Jim Dale wants me to point out that we have Rex Wright out here. He is here this week. It's week of the West or something like that, but we have the cowboy poetry stuff this coming up weekend. So Rex was our speaker a year ago, and uh, it was great to have him back in the audience tonight. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Okay. Any other announcements from the room? All right. We're going to move on to our program. Tonight, I'm going to have uh, Derek Sturdivant come up. Come on up, Derek. He is the head brewer at Golden City Brewery, which is the beer you're enjoying this evening. And uh, Derek's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the beer and then coincidentally introduce our speaker. All right. All right. So we have two beers on tap here. We have our legendary red, which is a, yeah, yeah, that's worthy of applause. <laughs> it's a Dusseldorf style alt beer. It won a gold medal at the GABF in 2018. And we have our 
Clear Creek Gold Kolsch. And it's also pretty good. <laughs> uh, it's the biggest beer we brew, or the, we, we brew, like 20% of our volume is the Kolsch. And a lot of that's because of Sherpa Brewery and the Kumbu Kolsch, because they're the same thing. <laughs> um, they're both made with Colorado grain. So we're very lucky to have um, maltsters in Colorado that make our own, or make local ingredients. And the gold's made with one from Monte Vista, and it's very clean, very crisp, very refreshing. And the red's made from grain grown up north in a different climate, and it's very grainy. And the two beer styles really bring out the best parts of the Colorado grain in these two. Um, yeah. So, we, uh, we started brewing beer in, what, 1993, and the, what, mission statement for the beer was to brew beer true to style and perfectly, or as close to perfectly as you can in old dairy tanks. Yeah. <laughs> um, since I took over, I threw that out the window. Uh, I keep the red and the gold the same to appease Charlie. Uh, and everything else, I, I just throw whatever in it. Just, it's all out the window. Um, so, without further ado, uh, this is Charlie Sturdivant. He's my father. And he's started a Sherpa Brewery with Lakpa from the Sherpa House. And I'll let him tell you more about it. <laughs> Thanks, Derek, for not getting into the nasty things I used to do to you. <laughs> I used to make him come out with me. He, he was three years old when we started the uh, brewery. And I'd bring him out and set him on the uh, bags of grain while I was brewing. And he'd be bored to tears. Not much else to do for eight hours. Now he does the same to me. <laughs> so, what, let's see. We can start here. This is the gate entrance to Sherpa Brewery. Um, I was contracted for free uh, because we're partners in it. Uh, in September of 2014, I went out there and with the idea of spending a month there and commissioning a brewery that was already built and being shipped in the, in the meantime. Uh, but as you'll see, things didn't go as smoothly, and four and a half months later I left, and the brewery was just about coming to uh, 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 yeah, online. So, we go from there. Here's our tanks that arrived from India. India was the, the source because our uh, Nepalese friends didn't trust the Chinese. And so, you can see the condition that these tanks arrived in, the, the roads are rough and the weather's bad and we arrived during uh, monsoon season and the, the tail of September on into October. And I, the, the tanks weren't quite up to snuff uh, for brewing something uh, without contamination. 
So, yeah, we need to pull these things in. We had to build this road in order to have access to the property that we bought 10 acres in uh, Chainpur in Chittawan, Nepal. And we're about 100 miles west of the town of Kathmandu, which is where you fly into to, to get to anywhere in, in Nepal. And uh, it's a five hour drive because of the condition of the roads. So sharp turn, big truck, lots of equipment. And we got it offloaded at night. In the uh, morning, I crawled inside the tank to check the quality because the outside was a little suspect. And we wanted sanitary welds. And we didn't get sanitary welding done on these. So these four tanks were, were kaput. I mean, we couldn't use them. And so I had a little uh, conversation with the owner of the company and convinced them that they should build us a new one. This is a, just a cutout section showing mild steel with stainless steel and stick welding. Uh, just unimaginable for anybody that knows what they're doing for beer tanks. So these things would just produce contaminated beer. And I was inside one of the tanks and the neighbors gathered around curious, what's this white guy doing inside here? <laughs> Tall white guy, I stand out uh, when I'm in Nepal. Uh, so yeah, they, I made friends with all these kids. And so unloading equipment, we use the, uh, the Sherpa forklift method. <laughs> and we figure out ways to do it. This is uh, one of, a part to the glycol unit. And there's the Sherpa forklift at work. And the rest of the glycol unit, which will keep the beers um, cool enough or control the temperature while, while fermentation is going on and later during uh, cold conditioning. Uh, we got a, a sheet filter, plate and frame sheet filter. And this was actually sourced from the Indians through China. So this was a pretty good piece of equipment, but it took us like, 24 hours to filter a complete 80 hectoliter batch of beer. And so we had to, we ended up replacing that. I'll show you later. Um, let's see, where did I go? Yeah, one of the things that we have a problem with there in uh, Nepal is they don't understand concrete um, and smooth surfaces and forms and all of this stuff. They, they use rocks to, uh, to shim up the, the forms and then they just pour it and pretty much let it go. And whatever comes to the top, irregular surfaces. Um, so I've got my nephew here, uh, Max Mulholland, and those are his legs you see back there. Um, let's see, uh-oh, how do you get this to go now? Ah, there we go. And uh, he showed him how to use a trowel and made a, made a smooth surface, and this is going to hold our hot, hot and cold liquor tanks. And uh, sifting the sand to get the right size sand to do uh, your concrete, um, that's heavy work and men wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> uh, and safety, we've always got to observe safety rules out here. The uh, standard footwear are flip-flops in Nepal, so yeah, sandals are not allowed, they say. Instead, use the Crocs. <laughs> and uh, here's something kind of interesting. Um, electricity. Um, electricity was 
delivered intermittently. So we had to buy a couple of generators to supply our power when the people were receiving, you know, the people that received the electricity constantly pay the highest bribes. So we, we didn't pay a good enough bribe, so we had to get the, uh, the generators in there. And safety again, uh, this doesn't, oh yeah, suspended load, you can see the straps here are a little frayed. This guy walking under the suspended load has no hard hat. Okay, and here's the bigger generator, and we Sherpa forklifted it into place once uh, we put her down. And this is the line that's being dug to uh, put the cable in to provide the electricity and to tie it into the generator as well as the, uh, the, the commercial source. And we had to set our own transformer, and once that's set, then we're ready to plug in our extension cords. Safety again. <laughs> uh, in order to uh, have a brewery, you need to have a, a grain mill. And this is the one the Indians sent us. And it, you can see it's only about eight inches wide, might even be six inches wide, um, and highly inadequate to keep up with the volumes that we needed. And so the Indians really did us no favors, at least with this one company. And once you have a bad experience with one company, you get suspicious. <laughs> so we ordered one from India. I'm not from India, from China. And uh, again, the rough roads and the, the trucks that they're on, they just roll around in the back of the trucks. And so you get, you get these things all mangled and, and we have to put them back together and it's serviceable. I mean, we put it back together, it works and it, we're still using it and a pile of stainless steel and the tanks in the background, the brew house. Um, that all was work to finally get some semblance of a brewery put together. And there's the finished brew house. So we, uh, we've got the brew house up and going. Now we can start brewing and we've got to get the fermenters from India and so we got two 40 hectoliter tanks from India, and these were drawn and designed by my nephew, Max. And so these are the, really the only two parts from India that came the way they should. And it, we hired an engineer to supervise the construction of these, so we had a little extra expense involved. Anyway, they're there, and we also ordered two of the same tanks from China way better tanks. And so we've got four 40 hectoliter tanks to, to brew on, so we can do about 2,500 barrels a year. And there's the tanks laying down on the ground that, that aren't any good, and the, uh, the good ones are standing up, but we're able to make beer now. And there's our brew crew, and the, the Chinese tanks in the background, and you see there's Nothing but, uh, you, nothing but forest or open land in the background there. You keep that in mind as we go along. Um, we ordered, or we bought, a, uh, a canning line from Ska Brewing out of Durango. And they, this was too small for them. They went bigger. And 
turned out to be about the right size for us. And so this piece of equipment, since it was packed in a container, bolted to the floor, it didn't move and it arrived intact as opposed to a lot of the other equipment that we got. And again, we implemented the Sherpa forklift to get this thing moved. And there's the depalletizer, the, the red thing, and a conveyor that's gonna then drop cans down into the brewery. Uh, there's the canning line, five head canner. It's got five that provide CO2 over here. And then the beer comes down these five. And then it goes on to the seamer. And lots of cans to, uh, to keep up with the brewing. And again, women doing the hard work, the offloading and putting into packages at the end. You can see the, uh, uh, there we go, the conveyor up here, twist rinser, the filler, right here is the seamer, and then the assembly table. And initially we were putting all of the cans down on the floor, letting them dry, and then we'd put them into the boxes to get them out into the market. So after this is done, we've got to get everything to market. And so marketing is a big deal in, in Nepal. Uh, without marketing, people aren't gonna want to pay a little extra for an all malt beer when it looks the same as the, the beers that they pr produce there that are 40% rice. And we need to get it into the mountains. Up, we have to fly it into Lukla. So, the packages go up into an airplane and, and drop into the town of Lukla, which is, if anybody knows anything about it, look up on the internet, the most dangerous airport in the world. <laughs> and this is the town of Lukla right here. This flat strip is the airport, the runway. And if it looks like it's inclined, it is. And yeah, geologically speaking, this is all landslide material that's fallen down from the mountain up here. So once you make the turn as you're flying up Kumbu Valley, you make that right turn onto the runway, you have two choices. You either make a perfect landing or you crash because you can't pull out. You can't pull up or turn. You have to put that plane down. And there's the runway, still looks inclined, it is. And you've got to make a descent with your plane to an inclined up, upward uh, runway. And it really takes skill to do that. And so there we are at the airport. And from there we offload the beer and take it to warehouses. And up here, most of the time, they don't do anything other than air conditioning to uh, you know, the ambient air temperature up here in Lukla at uh, about 9,000 feet is, uh, it's pretty cool. And so there's Lakpaw and my wife Janine and the beer. And to get it from there, you, the reason you fly into Lukla is there are no roads to it. And so anybody that wants to go climb Mount Everest has to fly into Lukla and then walk the Edmund Hillary Trail, um, what, about... 17 miles? No, it's further than that. Um, I've never done it, so I don't know. But it's quite strenuous hiking up here with the elevation and, and the inclination that they have. So you, you use Sherpas to, uh, to pack the beer in and get it up the Kumbu Valley. And there's rush hour in downtown Lukla.
So after we get the thing together, we can have a, a Thanksgiving meal. This was uh, like th two years later. Uh, we managed to get back there and, and actually found a turkey for about $75. They're, they're rare birds out there. And 2,500 barrels a year wasn't enough to uh, keep us flowing. Um, we were running out of beer. Um, we needed more capacity. So what we did was we went to China and we had four 80 hectoliter, so twice the size of the 40s that we had made before. And uh, they're, they're just dropping the shell onto the jacketed tank. Um, and the others back here, you can see the, the, the skin's already on. Um, these are almost finished manufacturing. And then we get them in here. We, we have a capacity of about 10,000 barrels a year now. Um, so these arrived in a container, strapped, bolted down, and undamaged. And laid them on the ground and then stood them up. And so this, 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 and back here are the four 80 hectoliter tanks. And you can see the, the 40s right here that came from India. You can't see, ah, actually, here's, here's two of the older 40s that couldn't be used as beer tanks. This one is now a hot liquor tank, and this one's a cold water tank. So they can hold water, but they couldn't, couldn't produce beer. But we put them to use. We didn't have to pay for them, though. And there's, you can see which one is the steam, uh, which one produces the hot water. And we still have the two bright beer tanks laying on the ground today. Um, along with some of the other equipment that we needed, uh, with the bigger brewery, we needed more glycol refrigeration. So we ordered this unit from India, but it's, it's, it's a brand name in India. It's a 30-ton unit, and it'll allow us to grow twice what we are right now. Plenty of room to grow. And uh, you can see the steam generators right here and here. The Indian sold us two little baby units. And we ordered a new one, and it's huge. And that, that will allow us to take the next step if we need to. I found a funny looking button on one of those things. I think it resets an alarm or something. <laughs> and that DE filter, that, or, uh, this is a DE filter, but the sheet filter that I had before that took about 24 hours, I got an eight square meter DE filter and self-charging and self-cleaning, and that thing does 80 hectoliters in about an hour and a half. So it's really speeded up the operation and dropped labor, labor costs. There's our old, uh, I think it was a 10 horsepower uh, air supply uh, compressor to, to run the canning line. And it didn't last very long because it was of Nepalese affordable quality. And we, we got a rotary screwdrive Atlas Copco, which is way more efficient. On the end of the canning line, canning lines back here, we put on a tunnel pasteurizer. And uh, you know, our beer was non-pasteurized initially and just filtered, kind of like we do here, but we've got a different climate there. It's, it's hotter and way more humid. 
And uh, so we had contamination problems. And so we decided to, you know, do like all of the other breweries in Nepal and put in a tunnel pasteurizer. And what it does is it's got some chambers in here with spray water that uh, goes, gets the cans up to about 140 degrees for eight minutes and then cools them down. And so it, oops, push this button, comes out the far side over here and there's the cans. And that's just for show. There's no spray going on back there. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to see it. And so we've got cans out in the market now. Um, this is a Pepsi can, or I think it's a Pepsi can, soda can, that you used to get concentrate in. Home brewers use them a lot. In fact, I shipped them over there from my home brew uh, accumulation. And it's about five gallons, and so we were putting beer into it and carbonating it and drinking it and go, wouldn't this be nice to put this on the market? There's no draft beer anywhere in Nepal. It's all cans or bottles. So we've got this bright idea, maybe we can sell beer in draft. But because they don't sell it in draft, nobody has a keg dispense system, a kegerator. So we bought 600 kegs. These are one-sixth barrels, so they, they hold a little over five gallons. And we had to buy kegerators to put into the retailer's space the bars and the restaurants, and let them use them and put our beer on tap. So now we've got draft beer in Nepal, and if we're not fast enough on getting our beer into the establishment, a lot of vegetables and meat ends up here in the... <laughs> they take advantage of the, the free refrigerator. So to go with that, we got a keg washing machine and a keg filling machine. And uh, before we got it all installed, it seemed a little confusing at first. So once we figured it out, we put this thing to use. It's filling right here, two, two kegs. And then we weigh them to make sure they're totally full. And then we employ a woman to help the men to show them how it's done. <laughs> and we get them onto a truck and then we take them to the market. So. There's uh, one of our kegerators in one of the restaurants in Sodaha, which is a, a, a resort type place. And some advertisement that goes with it to show that we're the first draft beer in all of Nepal. And it's going quite well. Okay, getting back to the early days. This is before our brewery's up and running, but that's the brew house here and that's the canning house. This structure is our water tower We've got a couple of couple thousand gallon tanks sitting on top of it now that we pump our water from the well up into there and then it gravity feeds for everything in, in the brewery and in, in the uh, uh, barracks. But if we look at that wall now, uh, we can look past it. Look at this monster building that's there. And so this happened after shortly after we built our brewery. We've got neighbors now manufacturing, you know, what do those look like? Those look like fermenters. Yeah, those are fermenters. And that's a pretty substantial brewery. We actually got a tour through it. Um, this was two years after we built ours. And uh, 
They've got a 50 hectoliter brew house, four vessel system. We've got a 20 hectoliter, so they're, they're more than twice our size. And this is that water tower. And I wanted to show you the, the wall and look behind it. And nothing but vegetation, farmland, uh, pasture. Uh, the one structure that's there, let's see right here, is a chicken coop. They raise chickens, a lot of chickens. Best chicken I've ever had in my life is from this part of the country. And this is from the water tower looking, uh, what was that? That would be west. And that is a beer factory. They, they call them beer factories in Nepal. And it's called Yeti, Yeti Brewery. And the original tanks were over here. Now this is this last trip we took uh, in November. And the original tanks were over here and here. And here's these monsters. They've got a dozen more of those things. So they're really cranking out some beer here. And they're our immediate neighbor. This is the road that's in front of the brewery when we first went there in, uh, in, in what, uh, September. And that's an irrigation ditch to, to supply the fields. And our, our brewery, you might see the roof right here, but nothing but vegetation and a dirt road. Um, okay, take a look at this mountain back here. That's our landmark. Uh, we're, we're out on the Indian Terai at an elevation of 700 feet. Nepal, 700 feet. But that demarcation of the, uh, the mountain front there is the main frontal thrust that starts the Himalayan mountains. And you can see higher mountains back here. And it, it's a fairly clear day, but you still can't see the Annapurna area. Um, this was a little stick building going in. Uh, never was completed for a long time. It is now. And the road that I just showed you is right behind these boys. They're heading off to school. And then our brewery is back over here. This is what it looks like now on that road in front of the uh, Yeti Brewery uh, shop, uh, bars, restaurants, and another one, and to provide services for the employees. So we've got businesses springing up because of what we did. Here's, here's the one that's in front of our gate. And actually one of the, I can't see where it's working can't find it. Okay, there we go. That is Lakpa's brother that lives there in, uh, in Nepal. And they spend a lot of time when they're not working, drinking beer and gambling. And there's that same house, but from another angle. And you can see over here, there's nothing. And what I just showed you, that road is lined with shops and businesses now. Um, this is a road that's on the west side of the Yeti Brewery, but this was from September of 2014. And I, I kind of like those egrets, but what, what went in right back here um, five years later? This is a factory of some kind. I couldn't talk to anybody about what kind of factory it is, but they're manufacturing something there. Um, this is our backyard in... 2014 and you can see the Annapurna area 
on a clear day. Now this, this place is so humid that you can't see very far. And I've got other photographs, but I don't have time to get them all in here. I've got 124 photographs to get through in 20 minutes. That means one every five, or one every 20 seconds. So in that same area, this is the same back, backyard. That is now, that's our wall. And you have to put walls up around every factory. Just, to, it's, it's a law in, in Nepal. So mattress factory back there, our neighbor on the other side. And this was just after we'd gotten the stacks up and that's our boundary wall. Again, looking to the east where the uh, mattress factory ended up going, but the mattress factory is more down that direction. And this is what it is now. And we've got a noodle factory going in right here and we've got a ramen factory and chip factory and that's the chip factory and then Oh yeah, here's, here's the road where the, uh, the truck was in the ditch. And that's the one we had to build to provide access. It turns right here and then our brewery's right over here. Um, these guys are gathering uh, bamboo for Diwali, uh, which is a month long celebration. And nobody works. And it really frustrated me that nobody would work for a month. <laughs> and we had loans on a brewery that wasn't built yet and couldn't produce anything. So it was kind of frustrating like an American would be. Uh, so <laughs> I, it, I was suffering culture shock until Janine came and told me, snap out of it, this isn't America. <laughs> so what I wanted to show you was this area is where those chip factories are. And you know that's what it looks like now. This part is still under construction over here. And so that's why the mess. But on the west side, this road was kind of just a beaten path, but you could still drive out on it. And today, I mean, I'm, I'm looking one way, I'm gonna turn around and look the other way. That is the road that those buffalo were on, and it's paved now. And there's a brick factory, and there's, there's the road that takes off and goes in front of the Yeti Brewery and in front of our brewery, lined with, uh, with all of those shops and restaurants. And this was, back beyond our backyard where all the greenery was. And this is haying operation and it's all done by hand. This was 2014, maybe January of 2015. And there's, there's that mountain again, just to show you that I'm still looking at the same place. And this is early in the morning, low angle sun, makes better photographs. And it, the humidity is so heavy that it looks like raindrops on the branches. So this area now looks like this. And there's a soap factory there. There's also a pharmaceutical factory between there and, and uh, the Sherpa brewery. And the river, the Kair River, is, uh, flows right behind our brewery, right behind Sherpa or uh, uh, Yeti brewery also and lots of gravel there. It's an intermittent stream that only flows during the monsoon season. And the, the reason it, it only flows during monsoon season is because there's 1,500 meters of this gravel. And that's where our water comes from that we're uh, producing our beer. And so it, it lends a, 
you know, for all the entrepreneurs that want to go down there and get rock and gravel and sand for aggregate, that, that's a service for, those, for the construction that's going on, whether it's houses or factories. And one thing I wanted to teach these guys, and I've been on them for the full five years, is some microbiology. And I taught them the first year, and they went, ah, yeah, maybe we can get by without it. Well, no, they can't. And so I, you know, th this last trip in, in uh, October, November, I showed them how to mix up wort agar solution and pour it into plates and streak the plates and make slants and keep your yeast on the slants and isolate single cultures of yeast. And there, there's one of the streak plates and didn't streak real well, but yeah, I will get better at it. And the slant, you can see the white spots here. Those are colonies of yeast. We can pull a little colony off, put it into some wort and start growing yeast and propagate it up to where we'll have a clean pitch. So more construction. I'm just going to fly through these things. And generally it's, it's housing above shops. Everybody seems to be an entrepreneur here. And there's, there's that mountain again behind us. And there's a lot of housing construction and shop construction going on within a half a mile of where we are and just showing you some of it. Uh, we do have cell phone tower now. This house, you know, just right in front of it down here is where that truck ran into the ditch. So it's the same house. Now we've got cell phone connection and it's a whole lot easier to, uh, to make connections. This is my favorite picture of all of Nepal. I, I was so enthralled, fascinated with the oxen with a single blade plow pulling around there that I didn't even see the tractor in the background <laughs> to, to show the difference in uh, you know the old and the new. Just my favorite photograph. Uh, vehicular transportation. That's a truck. Human driven tricycle. And a taxi. And this one happens to be at the, uh, the border where all of our goods comes comes through. Um, horse drawn, or they call them donkeys because they're small horses. And if you have a tractor, you're not always plowing, so you put it to work, uh, trying to earn a little money, doing other things, hauling propane here. And the ubiqu ubiquitous Tata, which comes from India, uh, and they all decorate their trucks. And these just, you know, they're, they're, they're Nepalese quality and they belch big black plumes of sooty you know, diesel exhaust and adds to the pollution of the countryside. Buses, yeah, we, we like the safety of the buses here. It's, it's not as crowded outside as inside. Uh, and propane gets, gets transported in these trucks. If you can read that, it says it's highly inflammable. And the family vehicle is generally a motorcycle uh, because it's affordable. And with your uh, family vehicle, you, of course you transport all your family and your groceries and everybody goes home fine. There, there's only one helmet allowed on a bicycle or a, a, a motorcycle. Uh, it's gotta be the driver. They can't legally have helmets on the passengers. And the reason is, the thugs used to drive around with helmets so nobody could see what they 
who they were and they'd stop and rob somebody or something. And so they put an end to that. So, yeah, a taxi, uh, might call it a rickshaw, has been replaced with tuk-tuks. And those were not anywhere around uh, when we first started the brewery. Now they're everywhere. And uh, that's about the end of my presentation, except for one last slide I happened to find going through the archives. Okay, Charlie, that was great. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to take a little break for about five minutes. You can get some more beer and uh, chat with your neighbors. Before we break, um, I wanted to put in a plug for our next speaker. Last February, we had Dr. Claire Zilber here talking. You may remember she spoke about the effect of stress and loss on the immune system. Well, she's coming back next month, and the talk talk title for February is Man Up, The Shame-Based Roots of Misogyny. So, I had to read that twice. Okay, and so we hope you'll all join us then. We'll take a five-minute break, and we'll come back and have uh, questions with Charlie. Thank you. Check, check, check,
not fun. Make it go away. Well, it's not interfering, so we're no, okay. No, it isn't. Oh, was it up there during your whole presentation? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, let's get going with our Q&A session. Before we get started, I've been asked to make another announcement, public service announcement. So um, I mentioned the Colorado Cowboy Poetry Gathering earlier when I mentioned that Rex was here with us. And um, it runs this Thursday through Sunday at the American Mountaineering Center. Apparently it's not sold out, although it may appear on the website that it is. You can still get tickets. If you can't get tickets on the website, you'll be able to get tickets at the door. So. Uh, without further ado, if they have any questions, there's a microphone over here near the front. People have questions, they can come up to the microphone, and Charlie, I'll let you run it from here. Okay. Any questions? I saw some hands up here. Actually, you had two before. I did. I've got three questions. Okay. So where did you get your ball? It comes from Germany, and we did get some out of Belgium, but uh, Germany's our main source. And so it's expensive. We get it out of China. Actually, we're, we're not using DE, we're using perlite. A diatomaceous earth. Uh, diatoms are a silica, a microscopic uh, organism. And their shells fall to the ocean floor. And you just, you know, once, once it becomes a rock and gets uplifted, no longer in the bottom of the ocean, then you can mine it. And if it doesn't have too much iron in it, it works fine. And those little shells, they're, they're like tiny gastropods, if you know what those are, snails. And uh, just about the right size to capture a three to four or five micron yeast cell. Yeah, yeah. So, with all the industry that's grown up around there, is there enough water? <laughs> there is. Yeah. What did you have to do to treat the water to get ready to brew? The only thing, we, we don't treat our water except in the mash tun. Uh, we've got a high bicarbonate content in the water. Our, uh, our well is 300 feet deep. And uh, yeah, we, it, it's not like brewing with uh, golden water, which is really fairly soft. Uh, this is hard water and bicarbonate is a temporary hardness. So if you boil the water, the uh, calcium carbonate precipitates out. And you know, we, we don't do that, we, it, it's gonna happen anyway. Uh, you're, you're gonna lose some bicarbonate that way because you have to heat your water before you brew. Uh, but we use an acidulated malt, so the acid balances the bicarbonate. And typically, uh, towns like Munich, Germany, had a high bicarbonate, they still do, have a high bicarbonate water. And so they're known for brewing dark beers, and dunkels, and bocks, and yeah, stuff like that. And so the darker malts um, have a higher acidity to them. And so that balances the uh, temporary alkalinity that's in the water and you produce a good beer. Uh, we have a hard time in the soft water uh, producing dark beers because of the acidity. And you can taste a dark beer and it kind of tastes like acid. And, and it's because 
they didn't treat the alkalinity before they went in, and which means you throw in a bunch of calcium carbonate and balance the, uh, the bicarbonate. What's it cost? What's it cost? <laughs> uh, Janine, you might be a... Ah, okay. So what was that? Oh, what does it cost to start a brewery? Um, yeah, we, we started it at roughly for half a million dollars. And of course, we've added more than that, you know, more than twice that since then. Susie. Charlie, could you tell us about your market? Who's your market? How does it break down? Well, we, uh, we target the uh, tourist areas, the Kumbu Valley, which we fly into, and uh, then the town of Pokhara, which is uh, the entrance to the Annapurna area. Uh, we, we try to hit a lot of foreigners because they understand the beer. Um, and then we put it into the restaurants and, uh, and bars as many as we can. Um, but it's, it's tough competing with the big bucks that the bigger breweries can throw at it. And so we're, you know, it's just like Golden City starting out too. Um, relatively new in the market and it's an educational process. So it's been slow. Who's your competitor? Like I saw Kingfisher, that's an Indian beer, so. Oh, well, yeah, there's Everest Brewery, there's the Chowdhury Group and uh, United Breweries, you know, and then Yeti next door, Gurkha Brewery. Uh, they, they, there's like half a dozen breweries around, but they all make the same beer, and some make it better than others. And then Tuborg is there, and it's brewed under contract, uh, and Carlsberg is there also. But culturally, uh, local people, do they drink much or not? Or? Um, they're, they're, you know, penny-wise. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they, they watch what they spend. They, they want more buzz for the buck, you might say. It takes them a while to gather enough money to, to afford a beer. But they do like their beer. Thank you for your talk. It was really good. Um, I have a question about the development. You showed lots of pictures about, of, of development in and around where you are. And I'm curious, um, there's obviously positives to that economic development, but also there's there's some negative aspects to that kind of development, especially in kind of a more rural area where you are. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about what you see as the, the benefits and the drawbacks of that kind of development about where, uh, where your brewery is. Well, the new factories are a whole lot cleaner than the old factories were. Um, the brewery, the Yeti Brewery that went in next door to us, um, they have a multi-powered source um, for their boiler. And they can, they, they operate mainly off of uh, farmland waste, uh, you know, grasses and rice hulls and, and stalks and trees and uh, anything that's cut down. Um, when I first went there, it was, yeah, I, I suffered culture shock. Um, I, I had never seen a third world country before and the rivers were polluted, there were plastic bags everywhere. You'd follow those buses 
um, on the highway, get stuck behind them because of their curvy roads, and uh, chip wrappers would go flying out the windows. And, uh, it, it's just a different mentality. Um, yeah, there's been changes. I mean, it's, it's not farmland anymore. It's, it's, uh, there are, they are factories, but there's less pollution now than there was. And part of it, I, I'd alluded to the Tata trucks that belch out black plumes of diesel fume. Um, and that was because that's all the, the people could afford. It doesn't seem to be as polluted outside of Kathmandu as it once was. And some of it may be the affluence that's come from, yeah, I, I, I say it was us that started it. And I, I think that's just fortuitous that we were the first ones in that area. And I can't you know, lay claim that they did it because of us. Nah, they probably didn't. But uh, with more affluence, there comes uh, you know, the ability to afford cleaner running equipment. And um, it, people seem to be more aware of their streams and, and keeping pollution out of them. But they're still polluted, but it's not as bad as it was. Or maybe I'm just getting used to it after, what, four trips there. <laughs> Back here. Uh, you talked about bacteriology and how you educated people. Uh, how, how does the education system there support all these new things? I mean, are there prepared or do you do a lot of education? Well, with the brewery itself, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I do the education at the brewery. Um, but as far as just the school system, they have a lot of private schools and they're all taught in the English language. And But they still speak Nepalese, and, and Sherpa is a separate language unto itself, uh, more Tibetan. Um, but the, the people are fairly well educated for the most part. Almost everybody goes through um, at least the first 12 years, and some of them go off to college, but yeah, it's, it's different. It's, it's different than here. I think we have a better education system. Saw another question. What, what setbacks did you have due to the earthquake? Oh, we had none. Uh, we had earthquake-proof buildings uh, constructed by one of the Sherpa family members. And he'd, he'd been in Japan doing construction, so he knew what he was doing as far as earthquakes go. And uh, most of the construction there is brick, and we did ours with pole and steel with uh, just concrete base. And so it could flex and move. And we weren't damaged at all by the earthquake. And some of this uh, new house construction, it may have been because of the earthquake and they're just building back because they lost their house during the earthquake and that's why it looks so new. Um, but this uh, chain poor area didn't get hit as hard as other places in, in Nepal. And one reason is we're not in the mountains. And so the mountains were not going to slide off out from under us or on top of us. So, yeah, I, 
it, it didn't hurt us. We had the same magnitude of uh, earthquake vibrations that the, the epicenter had and that the same areas, the mountains that had the same Richter scale uh, shake, it damaged them way more than us. Uh, Two-part question. Uh, first, are, is the Sherpa Brewery um, brewing anything to cater towards uh, local tastes, anything unusual? And then the second question is, uh, for a 2030 prediction, who's brewing more beer, Golden City Brewery or Shupa, uh, Sherpa Brewery? <laughs> I, we, we're landlocked to a 600-square-foot building. And we're pretty much stuck at a uh, thousand to maybe twelve hundred barrels a year, and so Sherpa's already way over that, and yeah, they're going to be way bigger. And second part. So that uh, if, uh, if there's any uh, specialty brews ah. in Nepal that to cater to local taste. The beer that they know is yellow, and rice based with with barley. Um, and so we gave them a yellow beer. We also brew a Himalayan red, which is a British ESB style. And so it's rather malty and a little bit higher in alcohol than the, than the Kolsch. But um, yeah, if you're brewing to the taste, you brew a light beer. Hi, Charlie, how, how much is a can of Sherpa red? Uh, there in Nepal? Yeah. Oh, it, in the restaurants they sell for about six bucks. And uh, in the restaurant, I mean, in the in the liquor stores, it's more like uh, three and a half bucks. Dollars. Well, there a, a rupee is worth about one penny. So, yeah, six thousand rupees would be, or six hundred rupees, six bucks, six hundred rupees would be six dollars. with any brewery, you generate wastewater. How do you manage your wastewater at Sherpa Brewery? Uh, we're working on that. We, uh, we have a pond out back and let the bacteria take over. Uh, but there's more we can do about it. I'm, I'm doing some research right now so that we can improve the aroma that comes off of that pond. 